It is very sad to hear that young adults, adolescents, don't like to read. Right. And there's a reason for it. How do we capture, how do we envision? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Highlighter Podcast. This is Anne. And for those who are new, special welcome to you. Let me tell you a little about what we do here. We take a topic each month and we focus on the story behind the statistics of that month. And this month, we're focusing on reading and specifically how it's taught or not taught. So here's the statistic for today. The National Literacy Trust reports that from over 2,000 teachers surveyed, only 3% felt like they had the knowledge to improve their students' literacy skills, even though only 1% said that there was a lack of commitment to improving literacy from the leaders at their school. And I also just know that to get a credential, you do need some sort of reading instruction course. So let's put all this together. Future teachers take classes in reading instruction, and then they get a job, and they show to a school where their school leaders believe in the importance of improving reading levels at that school. And yet, with all of that, only 3% of teachers are confident they can raise reading levels or that they know how to improve literacy skills. And to me, that is a huge problem. So today, we're going to talk about some possible solutions. We have Dr. Josephine Arce as a guest. She's a professor at SF State, where she's been for almost 19 years. And she's a professor of literacy and bilingual education. She's also now the head of the Department of Elementary Education I have a literacy specialist certificate from SF State, and when I was in that program eight years ago, she was the head of that program as well. So a lot of good experience to share. Thank you so much for being on the High Letter Podcast, Dr. Arcee. You're welcome. Good Did afternoon. I get that right? 19 well, years? no, actually 30-some years, almost 39. How long have you been at SF State? Uh, 20. 20 years. Mm-hmm. 20 years as a professor. Right. So before that, you I said 39, so 19 years San as a teacher. I was in Unified. I was in Long Beach, yes. I was a reading specialist, a reading recovery teacher leader. <laughs> a lot of roles. And I'm curious, before all of that, when you were a kid, did you see yourself as a reader? Yes, very much. How did that develop? De- definitely. What do you remember well, about becoming um, a reader? I came from a working class family, uh, primarily a Spanish-speaking family, and uh, my mother would always buy us books, and uh, the school would have those, uh, I want to say it was called Arrow Book Club, so you would order books mm-hmm. just like Scholastics, mm-hmm. and I would always get books, and I love books. So you grew up loving books. How did you go from that to being a teacher of literacy? With a very difficult process, got hired in San Francisco as an emergency credential bilingual teacher, and then from there, I found my my niche eventually, and um, I remember it must have been 1983, I want to say, that I um, read Jim Trelease's book, Read Alouds, uh-huh. and I thought, oh my gosh, this, this is really meaningful, and I began to read aloud to my children, my classroom. It was uh, second and third grade, Spanish bilingual. At that time, there weren't many Spanish bilingual books, and mm-hmm. there certainly weren't any content books. We literally had to translate everything. Um, so I used my resources and, and tapped on my own 
educational background, my own community activist background, mm-hmm. and life uh, to, to teach. And every day I would read to the kids. I have to pause and ask you a question because this is one of the things that you had said in class that has stuck with me, and you're, prob- <laughs> you're probably not even going to remember. But you, we were talking about reading aloud, and I said, what do you think about reading aloud in high school. Mm. Do you remember what you said? Yes, of course. All right, what what is your advice <laughs> for having students read text aloud versus mm. reading to themselves? Okay, so I, th- I think we have to think about it in different ways. One, should we read aloud to students in high school? Absolutely. I think the teacher should read aloud, and that not all teachers have developed that skill of having prosody when they're reading aloud, and they need to practice. Mm-hmm. So I would never get a book and just read it as a cold text. So you or, have, or popcorn and have oh, the yeah, students yeah, read aloud. Yeah, I would, I would actually practice reading. If I'm going to read some expository text or if I'm going to read um, biography for a social science course, or if it's just plain mm-hmm. and beautiful literature, I would practice because the we are the models. And for many of our students, we may be their only models on how the voice can sound. Hmm. And we want to engage them. We want to help them feel that transactional relationship with the text, with the author, with the characters, mm-hmm. to unite as one body. And so how else will youth get that experience if we don't model it? And then in the classroom, other forms of read-alouds, yes, I would pair, in high school, I would pair kids up, and I wouldn't put extremes. I wouldn't put that very, very high student with a very, very low or even a moderately low. I would get a moderate student that still needs scaffolding with a lower student so they could help each other Mm -hmm. and they could listen to each other. And then with the modeling that goes on in different ways, that would help them. I would also have kids have questions, guided questions, because part of the being able to read with prosody, the ultimate goal always with reading is comprehension. Sure. And if they're not comprehending... And they may not be able to comprehend because they don't have a couple of guided questions. It doesn't have to be ten. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be even five. But between two to five questions to guide them yeah. in the reading. To know their purpose. Discussions are really important. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing some reading, some paired reading or independent reading or guided reading, you also have to create Time, you must create time to have discussion about that reading. I mean, that's, that's what so, we do. That's so hard in high school, though, because, for example, I teach AP, and they have reading every night for homework. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to turn this into a session for me because I have specific example questions about this. First off, the way our school is, anyone who has passing grades can sign up for AP, which means I have a very large range of ability and mm-hmm. some unable to read the textbook and comprehend because it's an AP textbook. Any advice for what I do when the reading is supposed to be homework and I know students, some of them aren't reading and are either cheating or they're just copying some words down, but they're not understanding? 
Okay. So I think there's a couple of possibilities. One, I would say that they need uh, anticipation guides, so some kind of mm-hmm. guides mm-hmm. that teach them how to do note-taking. And I know teachers are doing that. Um, we cannot retain most of what we're reading or right. lectures that we're hearing. And so we need to be able to teach students to be strategic. So, uh, so having some type of guides that are meaningful, not just, okay, pick five words, you know, answer this question, but actually things that can be meaningful, uh, looking for text features, uh, finding important information. And then when they come to class, this is something that I think is really critical, giving them at least five to seven minutes to review their notes or have some Mm. silent reading time so that they could refresh their mind, trigger, joggle their mind again, and then let's have some discussion. And then you, you do your mini lesson or you go on with your content, however it mm-hmm. is that your structure is. But you have to give the, the brain a little bit of time to reconnect. I mean, we do this with adults. We do this in, in educational classes. So if we're not doing this with kids, we're missing an important way for them to reorganize themselves and refocus. Mm-hmm. Yes, and... I have a couple students who I believe to be reading at an elementary school level. Mm. So in general, students don't come at grade level. At my school, at least, it's usually below. But then there's always some that are much farther below. And in high schools, we don't have literacy specialists. We don't have pull-out intervention I know. What I a know. Shame. What I a know. Shame. It How is a shame. That, be? that um, has to Unless change. there's an IEP or 504, there is not space for help. And so a lot of teachers can spot the signs, Mm -hmm. they can guess that the student is a struggling reader, and then they usually actually have scores to back that Mm -hmm. up, and then what do they do? So I hear that they should be scaffolding the text, but is there more that a teacher can do beyond saying, let's work one-on-one outside of school? I say stand up, organize, and resist. I mean, (laughs) seriously, this is pedagogically unsound. And so when we talk about equity gaps, and I really have a problem with this whole notion of gaps, but when we talk about access and equity, then the schools are not being equitable Mm -hmm. because these kids, there is no catching up. There is developing. And so a a non-reader can become a reader, but one teacher who is seeing 100 to 150 kids in one day it's a monumental task. Right. So even though this teacher can spot a student, I, I, I'm not joking when I say you need to demand that there be specialists mm-hmm. to supplement and move away from the notion of remediation, but to support and scaffold students. You could, you could break up into pods. You could break up into uh, smaller learning communities that for... 40 minutes in a day. I mean, think about what, how much is lost when a student can't read the content and how much would be gained if that student for six weeks is allowed to be with others that are at their reading level, hmm. not grade level, their reading level, and work together to build strategies, to develop vocabulary, to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. It, it is amazing. And you I think mean, they can do that in groups. It yes, doesn't have to absolutely. be one-on-one. It doesn't have to be one-on-one because you would, you would 
put them more or less in their levels, like we do in elementary levels. Mm -hmm. And those levels are temporary. And you talk to the kids honestly and sincerely, authentically, that here's what's going on. Here is what's going on. I, I have to just interject this one experience I had here in the credential program um, many years ago. Um, we we're talking about language um, language variation, and one young woman, she was Filipino, said, um, "So, are you saying that we have to say things a certain way?" And I said, "Well, there is a standard or an academic. I prefer an academic." Uh, language, um, and we need to provide children with that access. And and someone said, well, that's really racist. And I said, okay. Um, and, and then someone else said, well, I've always said li library. Mm -hmm. And I said, but it's library. And three or four students got very upset with me, and they said that it was, I was imposing on them. I said, it is library, mm -hmm. and you are going to be teachers, and you need to be the models. And so you can code switch, and you can speak a certain way at a certain time, but when you're in the classroom, you need to be the model. Afterwards, that student came to see me. Everybody had left, and she said, Dr. Arce, I need to know, is it really library? Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, yes. And she said, I am in a post-BA program, and not one of my teachers ever told me. Mm -hmm. And I, I've never forgotten that, because I think we, as teachers, have to capture. And, and if we are honest with students and tell them, here's where I think you need to work and improve. Mm -hmm. Here's where I think you can go. A story that I've shared is that when I was at Treasure Island Job Corps and I taught reading, I had a student that never showed up to class, and I tracked him down, and I found him, and I said, you're reading at a third grade reading level. You need to come to class. And he said, you don't think I know I can't read? Walked away, never came to class. And the lesson that I took away is that, yes, we need to be honest with the students, but we need to be very confident that we can help them. Exactly. And that's actually the, the disconnect that I think is even greater, yes. is that we can yes. tell them, look at the score. You're struggling in reading right yes. now at grade level. And not flood them. Right, and not make them feel shame, but yes. say, I actually can help you. Yes, and here are a couple of things that we could do. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we do need to restructure how uh, secondaries is organized because... If, if you have that many students that are not reading, how many of them are going to go to the university? How many of them will stay seven years in a community college mm -hmm. and drop out? Yep. And that's a reality. So if we're talking about breaking down barriers and, and uh, equity and social justice and all these other great philosophical perspectives, we have to act upon it. Mm -hmm. and, and I do believe that there are resources. So you've talked about scaffolding in both having some sort of guide while someone reads, mm -hmm. in having them get into groups Small and groups. make meaning together. Mm -hmm. Any other things that are things discussion. secondary teachers? Discussion. discussion is a very important piece. So not answering questions, but actually open-ended questions. Again, not too many. And then having students generate those. And so motivation might be very low. Mm -hmm. It might be varied, right? Mm -hmm. Even those kids that walked in 
motivated, that motivation could be lost as they find that they're not being stimulated enough in class or that they're seeing that there's so much attention being paid to some students and not to others, you know, a management issue, just right. resources. So I think that um, that there has to be this notion of in the classroom breaking it up into groups and working with different groups and basically the teachers circulating. So not and they as get much different lecture. level text. And they would get different level text that could be one. They could get different level discussions. They could get different level vocabulary. Spelling, for example, mm-hmm. it's, it's shocking that students have such a hard time spelling. Mm-hmm. But why? Because they didn't get the how do we learn to spell? Mm-hmm. How do words work? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's secondary teachers, and, and I'm certainly not into blaming at all. Um, you've inherited children who come from all different walks. Yes. And, and the reality is we can't teach one shoe fits all. Right. One lesson fits all. How do we break those lessons down for different students? in 50 minutes or 45 minutes by the time they sit down and you're actually teaching your lesson. So what are, what are your learning outcomes but for different groups? So that everyone is improving yes. and you're not focusing yes. on one group yes. and leaving out yes. another. Yes, mm-hmm. and the discussions, the critical discussions could be with everybody, mm-hmm. with everybody. Um, I just witnessed, um, observed some secondary students at are incarcerated Mm -hmm. and these three of them were just brilliant young men brilliant and they have problems spelling and most of the students that were in there all of them had reading difficulties right yeah I think that when I think of all the students that I've taught who have graduated and by now it's it's definitely over a thousand the ones who have stayed in college and graduated, it's more likely that they didn't have passion yet, but they had the skills and they found the passion in college than Hopefully. the students that have this passion, but they don't really have reading and writing skills, and they get to college, and the passion kind of fizzles out, and they drop out because they didn't have the skills to do the work. Yeah. Um, so well, that's a, so hard to see. Group. There's a group that I've always said, um, we have to be careful not to lump all kids in the same category. There's either the very skilled or the very struggling. But there's this huge group in the middle that need the point. support, mm-hmm. need the exposure, need the guidance. And I would say that there, many of them come from first-generation families, uh, from working-class fa- backgrounds, from um, underrepresented people of color, mm-hmm. um, that, that there's, there's a support at home emotionally and, and certainly in stability or other ways, but there is the academic resources. Right. And so we in the schools need to be able to provide that. I also think that if uh, high schools partner up more with universities in the student teaching like and that. residency mm-hmm. programs, you basically have another person in there helping you. Yes, you are mentoring, but you have one person, and my ideal would be to have two student teachers in a classroom at the same time. 
that would support you accomplishing so much because as oh, they agree. are learning, they're getting guidance from their programs here, mm-hmm. but they're also practicing. There, there's a sense of collaboration between the cooperating teacher and the student teachers so you can learn and mentor and and be able to provide a greater service to mm-hmm. the students. So that's something to consider. Uh, um, yes, please send them to me. And I love it. Um, Look at teacher residency programs. Okay. I will. I actually do. Uh, I have a coworker with a TA that I think every time I see him, I'm like, that looks really fun. Um, I focus a lot on secondary. You know that's what I teach. We also have a lot of um, elementary school teachers that listen. And I saw a video of you where you were talking about a school that was being shut down, that you went into the school and you worked with struggling first graders and that you were able to do, um, you called it participatory research, which we won't get into here, but I thought it was phenomenal to go into a school as a researcher and actually want to implement change and not just observe. Um, But you were able to accomplish huge growths. And the little clip I saw, that's all that it said. And I was left thinking, what did you do? So I know it's not just secondary teachers that struggle with how to teach reading so that everyone is improving Mm -hmm. and there's a love of reading growing and all of the the good things we want to happen around literacy. What did you do in that school with first graders? Well, um, that was quite a while ago. Um, (laughs) It was a bilingual, Spanish bilingual program, and it became a Spanish immersion program. Uh, It's very, very successful in the school district, although um, I understand that Latino children are still faring behind, and that's not good. Um, what's, What's really important is understanding how the reading process works or literacy process, whether it's writing, the role of oral language, the role of assessment. So having a comprehensive understanding of literacy and and what does it look like? So how do we help, first of all, let's take young children, elementary school children, become strategic readers and writers. And for the teacher is how do we uh, structure the classroom where you are using quality children's literature, you're using, uh, I know now is very popular readers and writers workshop, but you're also scaffolding through guided guided groups Mm -hmm. because that's very important. That's where you're teaching them to be strategic. And of course, when you work with the whole class, but the whole class is never going to have the, the lessons in the whole class are never going to be as powerful as small groups. And in elementary schools, you can circulate and, and create guided reading groups that are temporary. And we have to believe and see it and, and be effective teachers on how we're scaffolding to see the children move every four to six weeks. I would say every four weeks they should be moving in their levels. So How if, do you assess that? Well, there's many informal ways, but there's also some more formal uh, running records. Mm-hmm. It's one of them. Um, do you, this is actually just me not knowing, do elementary school student, elementary school teachers sit once a month with each student and do running record that often? They don't necessarily do it once a month. They may do it two or three times in the semester. But some, some elementary teachers are selecting kids on a weekly basis and doing running records. It, it'll, it'll take, well, for a first grader, it might take five minutes, seven minutes at most. Right. 
and and as you practice, you get better mm-hmm. at it. Um, but generally, I would say a teacher does assessment, more formal assessment in the beginning, in the middle, and towards December, let's mm-hmm. say, and then in the spring, two or three times. Um, I think that's very important because assessment allows us to decide what's next. Right. It inform, It should inform your next move. Absolutely. So a teacher sees students flatlining or some sort of pattern developing. Mm-hmm. How do they, what, what, what would you tell that teacher to do next? Well, if um, I'm, I'm working with um, a student right now who's doing her graduate studies and, and what she's seen is that uh, this group she's working with, that they didn't know how to read with intonation, what we call prosody, and they didn't know how to problem solve. Hmm. And I said, and she wanted to do phonics and she wanted to do this and that. I said, no, no, no. Work on teaching them strategies. Right. How to search through a text, how to use the meaning in the case of lower elementary, the, the illustrations, the pictures, how to search through words, how to cross check one informational cue with another. So always taking them to the illustration first at, before we drop them down to the word level. Um, those type of strategic steps will help a child forever. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think even at the high school or middle school level that some, some students that struggle, they don't know where to begin and they don't know how to problem solve. What I've seen... So I've heard the saying that around third grade, you switch from learning how to read to using reading to learn. And I always, when I heard that, I was like, well, isn't that cute? It, you know, it's, it's, it's jingly and it shouldn't be true because true. they're encountering harder and harder texts with new structures they've never encountered and teachers are no longer teaching them how to read them. They're just assigning them and hoping that the student already has the skills. And that to me is... Is there's a huge gap, at least when I was doing literacy work, a lot of the students when describing when did you stop reading, it's somewhere in mid-elementary. Um, I think that, first of all, kindergarten children are reading to learn every minute of the day. Yes, Preschoolers that's true. Yeah, are. I have a first grader, it's true, and yes. a three-year-old. Yes, and they are reading or attempting to read to learn. So that is a very outdated perspective. Mm -hmm. We are always trying to discover and we're curious and we have inquiry. And if given the opportunity, a child learns to ask those questions and to be curious. I'm sure you see it in your children. Yes. Watching a child learn how to read is incredible because it's not, I'm not teaching them. Like there's something happening in their brain where they're ready and they're the stages and all of the sudden it's, I don't want to read aloud to let's get every Mo Willems book. Mm -hmm. And then we're in that for a while. And then all of a sudden, can we try chapter books? And it's like, I'm not teaching it. And it's very exciting to watch. And I see that. And I think of my high schoolers who hate reading and are at an elementary reading level. And I'm like, what happened between this exciting that they did, that time. maybe they didn't get that level of excitement because that excitement for literacy for books also happens at home 
Mm-hmm. It happens in multiple spheres. It happens in the classroom. It happens at home. And we are just starting with a new generation of teachers. You have to remember for the last 12 years, from No Child Left Behind to Race to the Top under Obama, all of those years, teachers were indoctrinated, forced, forced to follow prescriptive literacy approaches, Mm -hmm. which were a lot about um, timing kids on fluency, which is absurd, Um, learning (laughs) a lot of words sometimes out of context. Right. And, and, And so now this new generation of teachers are learning to push children, to encourage them to have more questions, to have more inquiry, and to learn to observe. I mean, there were some of us doing that back in the 90s and late 80s, but overall, that that period of No Child Left Behind damaged a lot of intellectual, cultural workers as teachers. And so it's relearning for teachers, too. Yep, yep, the, the pendulum is hopefully swinging back hopefully. toward teacher yes. empowerment. Yes. So what I might be hearing, at least what I think, you tell me if you agree with my opinion, is principals who are clamoring for tell me what to buy, tell me what program is going to fix it, put that money into hiring more experienced teachers who simply know what they're doing because you don't need to buy a program. Yes, yes. Put that money into some uh, collaboration and providing stipends for teachers to plan together and to have these deep and meaningful discussions where you bring in someone from the English department with social studies or, um, or science and English because it's, it's a false belief that in science we're not developing literacy mm-hmm. or in math. We need to have that collaboration with teachers. So I would say money towards that, money towards buying books, quality books, um, and and also liter- literacy coaches. They're so needed. They are so, so needed. I think also rethinking how the classroom is structured. Mm-hmm. Because it is very sad to hear that young adults, adolescents, don't like to read. Right. And there's a reason for it. How do we capture? How do we envision? Mm-hmm. Think about Judith Langer's concept of envisioning and what that means is so we have to help kids recapture imagination. And some of it might be starting from their own personal narratives, their own stories, but then we have to push them beyond that. Right. So that it doesn't always come from personal experience right that takes time it can start it can happen I have a lot of hope oh good I'm glad you have hope I I know that you see the next generation of teachers often Dr. R.C., thank you so much for being on the Highlighter Podcast. To listeners out there, if you have stories that this has reminded you of, if you want to share good or bad experiences with being taught how to teach writing, call us at 415-886-7475. Happy reading and happy listening. Have a great week, everybody. (laughs) 